Isn't there a rule of thumb where, where when you're hanging out with friends, you never talk about religion, politics, and race, right? Um, well, today, just a disclaimer before I go in, um, we won't be talking about politics. Actually, I would never talk about politics, I don't think, you know, in the pulpit. Um, religion, we talk about every week, so that's, that's okay. That's, we're the church. Um, but we're going to be talking about an uncomfortable topic of race. And, and we're going to get into that in the second half. And it's always uncomfortable when you talk about race because it's that word in the conversation where it makes everybody get a little bit like, oh, do you have to go there? Can we just be comfortable? And I think we need to go into there because the word of God takes us there. And we like to avoid it, but yet we are either victims or we perpetrate it. So we need to align this together as we are on this journey in this life to become more like Jesus, who destroyed barriers of race. How do we live into that? So Paul takes us into that with Ephesians 2. So before I continue on, would you just take this time to pray with me and as we invite the Holy Spirit to really be clear today and speak to us. Lord God, thank you for your word, your precious word. Thank you for this living word that was brought through your inspiration. And you gave it to us, Father God, to reveal your just the specificity, God, of your heart for us and the world. Lord, take us now that you would journey with us. May my words be careful. May they be from you. Would you give me, all of us, a, a heart to hear and ears to understand and that, God, that you have called us to new citizenship, to a new kingdom, that we are not merely part of countries and nations built by human hands, but, God, that we, in Christ we belong to a superior kingdom that is here now in you. So open our eyes, show us, Lord God, convict us, and Holy Spirit, bring us to the cross and bring us to you in life. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, we started out by just saying that Paul gives us this picture of God who is working even before time. And in his wisdom, in his understanding, he's reached down to sinners and he's claimed us. Without God's grace, we would be all over the place. We would be destroying ourselves. And yet God comes in and he chooses to redeem us through Christ. And in Christ, we have this entering into a new kingship and kingdom of God. And last week, in chapter 2, it's one of the most pivotal verses in the whole Bible that, that this gift is not earned, it's not, it's not merited because you're so good or you've, you've got your life straight, but because we're sinners helpless who, would, who are dead, as Paul says. Our issue is not becoming better, but our issue is how do we become alive? because we're spiritually dead. Religious doesn't save you. Good intentions don't save you. A gift of God in Jesus Christ, which no one could boast, saves us. Now it's Ephesians 2, chapter 8 and 9. So Paul goes on in chapter 2, and he says these, these words, that if you look at the cross, you see two lines, that Jesus Christ basically bridged this gap between us and God, vertical, but that gospel of Jesus Christ simply doesn't make us right with God, but it does something to our neighbors as well. That lateral line 
you could say symbolically is the gospel of Jesus Christ bridges the hostility between us and God, but also bridges the hostility between us and all mankind. That's good news. Why? Well, if we let's look into it. So he says this, verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, Gentiles means what? Anybody that's not a Jew, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. There, there might be Jews in here. I mean, there might be Jewish people in here if you're friends or have Jews. So I'm, I'm not trying to like that. So, but Gentiles are anybody that's not Jews. So all of us, he's saying, anybody who's not Jews by birth or called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is the Jews. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. In other words, God was interacting with the world through Israel, and we were not involved. We had no clue about God. We were chasing our own. If you go back to our ancestry, making our own gods or finding our own morality, but God was interacting with Israel, and all the Gentiles were outside the covenant. Who did God make a covenant with to say, you are my people and I will be your God? Abraham. And the Gentiles were outside of that. And God had applied even for that. So, you know, no one likes to be on the outside, but Paul is reminding us, as Gentiles, I want you to remember, you were not part of this heritage originally by God's intent. But now, verse 13, here it is. But now, as Christ the Messiah has come, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You who didn't even care about God, who didn't even seek after God, this Jesus Christ has come and is bringing all people together. So he says, he says, uh, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two, Gentiles and Jews, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, Raise your hand if you know any history or any story or any neighborhood thing where you saw conflicts amongst, this is a stretch here, amongst races. <laughs> really? <laughs> Rwanda gen genocide, Armenian massacre, China and Korean occupation. You have Israel-Palestinian conflict, Pakistan and India. I mean, on and on. Throughout history, humanity we're like, we're civilized, we're smart, we could figure this out. We haven't. And we created, there was a UN created in, in the 20th century, and it's helped, but we, by nature of sinful fallen people, we are subject to hostility amongst people that are different from us. Uh, I went to college in, in Rutgers, which is a, it's like a UC version of New Jersey, and in the sub-school of it, it was called Livingston College. Rick, do you know Livingston College? Rutgers? Well, Rick's from New Jersey, so. Anyway, the, the, the model of our, of our school was this. Strength, strength through diversity. So that was our, the model of Livingston College. But we always joked about it, because when you go to the cafeteria of that school, here's what you see. You see all the Koreans in one corner eating, you see all the Anglos sitting together. You see all the, all the, you know, the geekies, you know, geeky Anglos and maybe some, some sprinkling in of, you know, Indian and Korean maybe here. And then you see the African-Americans sitting here. And then we used to just look at that model and just look around and say, 
I don't see any strength to diversity. And you know, that was their area. Like, this is the Korean corner. You don't dare sit in the Korean corner. And it's so interesting because you have these races, and we acknowledge that, but it's not really blended, is it? In fact, there's like a territorial aspect. And in us, there is this idea that we feel uncomfortable with, with people that are different from us. And that's the default setting everybody has. If you go to a room full of 100 people that are, that are, that are Korean, if you're an Anglo, you walk in, no way you're going to be like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> I guarantee you, I'm just calling, let's, let's be real here. You're going to feel like, oh, what's going on? Or if you're, if you're an Asian and you go into a room full of Anglos, at first you're like, oh, like, oh okay. Well, not as much as the other way, but that actually happened. My friend and I were road tripping from New Jersey to Phoenix, Seattle, Minnesota, and we were hungry. So we stopped by South Dakota, like population like 200. We were hungry, needed gas. So we walked in and we went to this, there was a pizza place. So I'm like, all right, pizza. And I'm not exaggerating, I'm not trying to be funny. Literally, we walked in, we're like, oh. And literally, just like the music stopped, and the like 20 people just stared at us like, what are these two Asian kids doing here? Uh, and then one little girl goes, mommy, look. <laughs> and, then, and then my friend and I said, hey, uh, I, I could wait another hour for food. <laughs> and, and that was our discomfort, our tiny bit of racism on our part to assume that maybe we're not welcome. And there is this tension whether you're the majority or the minority. And there is this innate sinfulness that causes us to say, if you don't look like me or you don't sound like me, we're not, there's going to be fear that I may say something stupid or worse, you may judge me or I may judge you. So this has been in, going on through history. Jesus' time, there was racism. Do you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus is going through Samaria? What does he bump into? A woman at the well. What was the big issue there? How can you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan? Because they despise each other. Why? Because they were ethnically opposed. You are not purebred Jews. You are mutts. Well, you Jews are so self-righteous and you're, you're racist. And they didn't talk. And Jesus goes right into that and says, hey, can I have water? I love that. He symbolically as well as effectively does it. And that's what Paul is saying. In Christ, the barrier of hostility has been destroyed. It's been obliterated. The dividing wall of hostility is gone. He did it through his flesh on the cross. And he condemned it. And his purpose was to do this. He's taking this. He's like, I see you're Korean. I see you're Mexican. I see you're Irish and Scottish and, 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 and you know, Indian. And, and all of this in Christ. He's also saying, I'm going to create a new citizenship. But it's not homogenous. And I want to make that clear. Homogenous is this. Hey, you're Korean? Hey, walk like me, talk like me, and, and we're all cool. Hey, you're, you're Anglo? Walk like me, talk like me, and we're cool. And we'll just water this, your uniqueness down and make us into like zombies and robots. That's not unity. That's what some people call color blindness. We're just washing each other's uniqueness out. It's like, hey, you're, you're African-American? If you talk like me, remember um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Some of you guys remember? Uh, this? 
and I usually do that thing. Like his his stereotype character was uh, was he he talked like a white white ang- uh, like a Caucasian, so he was different. And we're like, hey, if you just blend together and look like us, then we'll accept you. And that's not what Jesus does here. If you look at Revelation chapter seven verse nine, I think I have a verse of that. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. This is the end times. God's coming down, heaven and earth combining together, and God's coming to bring renewal. And from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Do you notice he doesn't say, there will become one language now. There's this this joining together a multitude of different faces. Black, Latino, white, Asian. And then standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. You see, the kingdom of God is not come to church, look like me and talk like me, and then join us. The kingdom of God is come the way you are in your uniqueness, in your beauty. And we want to celebrate that even though we're different. Wow, we have a deeper bond. That's unity in Christ. And what Paul is saying is, That has happened because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And he goes even further. He says this, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Right there in verse 16, what Paul is saying is, because let's face it, folks, whether you're black, white, Asian, Latino, we have one problem. We have a problem called sin. When you go to God, he's not going to say, oh, are are you Latino? Well, you're invited, but Got to keep, got to watch out for those Asian folks. You know, God doesn't do that. God doesn't go, you know, when we say God save me, he doesn't go, what ethnicity are you? <laughs> In other words, God doesn't value you less or more because of your cultural background. He's saying, I love you all and your problem is sin and I've died for all the world. So why is this important? When Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we recognize our deepest issue is not, it's not merely getting along, but it's getting right with God, who has received and said, every nation now in Christ, Gentiles, you're valuable. I, I, just for fun, can you turn to someone next to you and say, you are valuable. This is, this is that, oh gosh, this, this pastor is making introverts crazy. You're, now, now we got to hear that because God is saying to you, you're valuable. We, you know why that's important? Can you imagine if we said today communion, it'll only be for white people? I mean, just, just, just picture with me. Today, people of color, stay away. It's only for the white people. Or let's reverse it. Today, it's only for... It's only for Oh, the, the, the Chinese, just everyone just watch. Now I guess it just really is like, hey, that's funny. Now you feel that awkward tension right now, this awkwardness. And Israel's believe that, that God only loves us. Those Gentiles are sinners. And we're like, boy, good thing we're in 21st century now because we're overcome that. No racism here. And this past week, Maya Angelou passed away, and there's a quote that she said. This is what she says. The plague of racism is insidious, entering into our minds as smoothly and quietly 
and invisibly as floating airborne microbes enter into our bodies to find lifelong purchase in our bloodstreams. I think racism comes to us explicitly and implicitly. Let me explain. When I was five years old, five, I came to the United States. You know what my aunt said to me in the first two days I was here? Jason, oh, my Korean name is Hong Seok. He said, Hong Seok, don't ever talk to black people. <laughs> this is not funny, actually. They're all bad. What does that do to a five-year-old's mind who is naive and ignorant? You see, there's an idea you can generalize that millennials have more tattoos, but you cannot stereotype by saying, are you a millennial? Show me your tattoo. <laughs> Do you see the difference? There's a statistic that says millennial has more tattoos than any other generation, but you'll be fooled. This is a, from a book called Sticking Points. It does such a great job by going to a millennial and saying, hey, you're a millennial? Can I see your tattoo? You sound like a buffoon. What are you doing? You're projecting a blanket statement to everybody based on a generalized truth. Generalization is okay. Stereotyping is when you blanket the whole group. And what my aunt did to me, which I thank God within that year was rebutted because my best friend turned out to be an African-American kid. <laughs> you know, but do you see how insidious Maya Angelou is right? It just seeps into us. We don't even know it. And if you're sitting here right now saying, well, Pastor Jason, you're preaching to the choir. I'm okay. I want to show you this video. If you guys don't want to show what would you do from ABC? Yeah. John Quinones, he goes on this scenario. I want to show you a small clip, and there's a professor from Yale Psychology who, who, who tells us we are not as good as we think we are. And this is not Christian. It's just, can you watch? Everyone insists that justice is colorblind. Did the race of the culprit have anything to do with it? Not at all. I, he could have been any color, and, and it wouldn't have mattered to me. I think it was taking a bite that wasn't his, not what his color was. Maybe, but take another look at how people passed right by the white actor. I need the police department. But not the black actor. Madlock sits nearby, stunned by what just happened. These racial stereotypes are infused in all of us. I mean, it's part of our culture. So whether you're black or white, you associate crime with blacks and you associate whites with being good. Jack DeVidio, psychology professor at Yale University. Whether we believe it, whether we notice it, whether we acknowledge it, race is affecting what I see, what I think, what I do. The video says we all seize openings to reassure ourselves that we're not biased. Lost your key? Yeah, actually I did leave my key. So when given an opening like this lost key explanation, yeah, people may respond kindly. Challenging the actor might come off as racist. So I get the back and you get the front. Uh, yeah, good luck to you. Thank you, sir. So when I, if you saw the whole episode, there was a white actor who was stealing the bike, and they're like, is that your bike? He's like, no. They're like, okay. <laughs> and then when they switched it up to an African-American, same actor, same dress, same age, doing it, there was a crowd that gathered yelling at him, calling the cops. Same setup. And this is ABC. And that Yale professor is saying, 
If you think you are not affected by racist bias, you are lost. You are mistaken. And I stand here because we all have a bias. I have a bias even against fellow Koreans. Um, I, when Michelle was like a few months old, we went to a Korean restaurant in New Jersey. They still let you smoke in the restaurant. And then we're like, hey, if having barbecue. And then this group of middle-aged Korean men sit next to us and they take out their cigarettes. And I was like, oh no, you cannot be smoking. They're gonna smoke. These, they don't care. They're gonna smoke in front of Michelle. And like Kathy and I were like, should we go? And they didn't. We're waiting, we're waiting. They didn't light up. And then as soon as we got, we got up, they started taking the cigarettes out and lighting it. And I said, thank you for not smoking. He goes, how could we do that with a beautiful baby like that here? <laughs> and you know what that said to me? I am even racist to my own people. You see, we've been shaped by experiences, movies, media, encounters, stories, implicitly, explicitly. And here's what is not acceptable. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in the church, there is no place for racism at all. Amen? Amen. Here's racism. Here's a definition of racism. It's, it's, uh, this has come straight out of, um, out of the, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And um, as we get together here, Racism is the belief that some races of people are better than others. That's it. Racism is not they're different, but it's that superiority feeling. So when I say my race is superior than yours because I'm more successful or we're smarter or you guys keep getting in trouble, you're not making a generalization. That's racist. You are putting down others because you're a different class. And what Paul is saying to us is that in Jesus Christ, this has no room in the church because all of us have been made accessible to the same God regardless of our race. By the way, in our book of order, any, anyone could be a member of our church regardless of your race, ethnicity, uh, gender. It says that explicitly. So we, we understand that this has been a tension in our U.S. history. So let, I want to go on, and this is, this is the new picture that Jesus is painting for us. And he's saying this. He came, verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to God. All people have access to God. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. All of us should say, hallelujah. And you can say hallelujah if you like. Hallelujah. And members of God's household. Now we have entered in. Not just Abraham, not just the chosen people, but God has brought us together. And the foundations of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Really quick, what's a cornerstone? Today it's just a nice little concrete brick with an ear on it, right? But you know what the cornerstone was? Any of you carpenters, masons? I had to look this up, so I'm not that smart. I, this is what a cornerstone is. It's the foundation stone derived from the first stone set in the construction of masonry foundation. Important since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone. So in other words, once you set this stone, every other stone 
will start to be in the perfect alignment. You got to set the first stone. Who is our cornerstone? It is not the president of America. It is not George Washington. It is not the greatest emperors. We have one cornerstone for humanity, and the Bible is telling us the one who sets the standard to align all people as one is Jesus Christ. So how dare we look at anyone else and say inferior? So this is what he does. By the way, I tell people who potentially are racist, I was like, if you're a Christian, you're racist. You're going to have a really bad time in heaven <laughs> because we're going to be parting it up with all people, nation, tribe, and tongue. Either you better repent and get used to it or you better, I don't know, maybe become, a, become an atheist or something. I don't know. But that's the kingdom of God. We don't become whitewashed and then we don't become like one ethnicity, but we become together, gathered before God. And this is what Paul is saying. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So I want to end with this. Just a few thoughts, because this could be like another two, three-part series, but just thoughts, and then I want to lead into the communion. One is this. I want to push the envelope and say, just because you tolerate different races, that doesn't mean you're not racist. There's a difference between saying, I'll tolerate it, versus I will respect and love them and serve them. Do you hear the difference? There's one thing to say, like, I'm okay as long as they don't bother me. (laughs) That's racist. Versus, God, these are your people, different people with different backgrounds. And God, they're yours. Um, Another is, God will never say you are less valued by your race. Some practical things. Um, Look around your friendships. If your friends are all looking like you, it doesn't mean you're racist, but it may mean maybe we could step out into discomfort and see stories of other people especially as a church. Look around this congregation just as quickly, really. Like, there's a lot of different ethnicities here. And we got comfortable because we're one church, but entering into each other's story is a whole new thing. Hey, we gotta have lunch. Hey, we should have dinner. Would you like to come over for coffee? And engaging in this obliterates this awkwardness. Um, and lastly, it's this, and because we can't spend the whole night in, in this, but as we take this communion, what we're saying is, Lord, I'm, a, I'm redeemed by your blood and your body. And Lord, I despise sin because you died for my sins. And one of the things that I want to come before God today is to say, if you could examine your heart, the last application I would say is, would you own that discomfort, that racist past, that evidence. Maybe some of you were offended by the majority or the minority, and you say, I had a bad experience and I can't forgive those people. And maybe 
you could own that and you could enter into that and say, Lord, just as you forgave me a foreigner of your kingdom, give me the grace to forgive at this table. Maybe some of us, we are holding anger and grudges. Maybe we had the ants like me who's, who said, watch out for those people, and you, you bought into it. Yeah, those people are bad, and you found out, I just can't shake it. Whatever it is, the last thing I think we need to do as a church is we've got to own that discomfort and give it to the Lord and say, Jesus, I lay it down. Help me to forgive Help me to be forgiven and help me to go out. Would you do that this time? Let's bow our heads together and we're going to have a short time of prayer. Some of you, some of us, maybe we're the minority who's saying those majority, those people, they're just self-righteous and they're just abusive and I can't forgive them. We need to ask for forgiveness. Some of us were, were sitting here saying, I am clear and I'm most concerned for that. <laughs> That if this creates a, like a discomfort or defensiveness, if you don't see it, just ask the Holy Spirit to say, show me maybe there's some things that in my heart that need to be obliterated. And so God, we come before you. As Jesus Christ bridged this gap between us and you, he has also obliterated this wall of hostility amongst Jews and Gentiles, amongst all people. And he has made us one. And God, forgive me. Bring me to your heart. Just as you reach out to a Samaritan woman, help me to show grace and to be forgiven as well. Let's just take a short moment in prayer.